Father, we just want to want to say thank you, God, for your goodness, Lord. Thank you for meeting us this morning, Lord. We just give you all the glory and all the honor, oh God. I pray, Lord, that whatever I share, you hide me behind the cross, oh God. Father, if you're not in it, we don't want you. But obviously, you're here today. And Father, Lord, I pray that you open our hearts to receive your word. We love you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Just uh, two quick announcements today uh, before we get into the Word. The first one is this upcoming Wednesday, we're going to have a combined youth and young adult time of worship and fellowship. It's going to be phenomenal. It's going to be worship, a great word, um, time together. And it starts at 645, so that's youth and young adults this upcoming Wednesday. And then I don't know if it's on the screen. Well, it's not on the screen, but <clears throat> I got a really big announcement this day. Today, we launch our youth retreat. It's going to be a phenomenal retreat. It's an exciting time to be. We're going to be out in PA, and you're, you're not going to want your child to miss it. So if you can sign up, we got sign-ups in the back. We're going to have a table in the back, and you can sign up there, and you can sign up on the webpage. Um, but it's going to be in a phenomenal, phenomenal retreat. So those are my two announcements for the day. So <clears throat> before I even tell you the title of the message, I just want to tell you a quick story. So uh, 2010, I was working as an enumerator uh, with the census. Does anybody know what an enumerator does with the census? I was out in Brooklyn, and I had to go to people's houses and, and you know, count how many people were in the, uh, in the house. And so oftentimes, I would do everything by foot because, you know, it's easier. Just and Everybody knows, right? It's not like out here you don't need a car. Everything is easier to do everything by foot. Foot in subways. That's what it is, right? Foot in subways. And so I was out there. I was in some part of Brooklyn. I don't know if it was on North Strand or Atlantic Avenue. And I remember walking past, uh, have you guys ever been to the city and you've seen those, uh, those people that try to stop me? Like, hey, can I draw your portrait? Draw your face? And it's like this weird cartoon-looking face. And I remember walking by this little area. There was this, this group of people and this one lady or and maybe our partner. They were selling a bunch of portraits of Jesus. They had, uh, they had white European Jesus. They had... Uh, Black homie Jesus. They had macaroni Jesus. That was kind of crazy. They even had Brooklyn Jesus. And then the best one was create your own Jesus. And, you know, I laugh at it now, but, you know, thinking back on it, it's crazy that we can have all these versions of Jesus but miss the real Jesus. And today's title is, Who is Jesus? It's the most important question you're going to ever be asked. And in the way you answer that question, the way you you, you answer it determines the trajectory of your life. And you may say, well, Edwin, this is not really a, a message maybe for the believer, but let, let me tell you this. This is as much of a message for the believer as it is for the unbeliever, and we're going to talk about that. And the way you and I come to answer that question not only affects our lives, but it will affect the lives of those around us. You see, because for answering the question, who is Jesus, you're really answering the question, who is God? And to convey the fullness of Jesus in 30 or 40 minutes, can I be honest with you, it's very difficult. It's not even possible. But today I'm going to try my best to do so. Just touching on some amazing stories of the Lord and maybe a couple of points. But let me just tell you guys, I would never be able to, and no one in this room can convey the fullness and the goodness of Jesus. John says it right. He says, if I was to write all the stories of what Jesus done, there would be no books on this earth to contain them. And I just think about that's, that's mind-boggling. All right? But before I dig into some characteristics of Jesus, I just want to make sure that I state the obvious. Jesus was a real person. 
Uh, there are numerous historical evidences pointing back to who he was. He was a man who walked this earth, and in a short span of life, 33 and a half years, he absolutely changed the world. And Jesus was like no other person to ever walk, no other person to ever live. And that's why today I could share this with such passion and conviction. If you guys would turn with me, um, and I say turn with me, but I have a digital Bible, okay? I am reading from the Bible, I promise. <laughs> They're like, what is this guy doing up here? Where's the book at? Well, if you could turn with me to Mark chapter 1, verses 21 through 28. I want to be reading from the New King James Version. And I, the first thought I have here is Jesus is a righteous and a holy God. Jesus is righteous and a holy God. So you want to write that down? That's my thought here. So they went into Carpanium, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and taught. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Now there was a man in their synagogue with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet and come out of him. And when the unclean spirit had convulsed him and cried out with a loud voice, he came out of him. Then they were all amazed, so they questioned among themselves, What is this? What, what new doctrine is this? For what, the, for what with authority he commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And immediately his fame spread throughout all the region around Galilee. Uh, this is an incredible encounter with Jesus. Here we have someone who is demon-possessed and oppressed, completely given over to darkness and hurt and probably self-harm. And at the same time, once he encountered Jesus, acknowledged that God was what? Good and holy. And you have to, you have to understand why this is important. You see, because the Bible says Jesus was righteous and he lived a life that was holy. And really, holy just means what? Right standing before God. And can I be honest with you? How many of you guys really are in right standing before God? Can anyone really claim I'm in right standing before God? There's only one man who can really claim that, and that was Jesus. And so he was in right standing before God, and people took note. Because we notice that in verse 21, it says that the people saw that the way he preached was different. His words carried weight. And this made me think, in other, in other words, the way you and I live, our actions, always affect how much power and weight your words actually hold. And that's such an important, I don't, I don't think we, sometimes we miss that, even as a parent, even working with youth, if, if a youth or a child sees you living in a way that does not glorify God, is not set apart, your words have no meaning. You don't have no weight, no power. And you sit there and you wonder, why am my child acting out like that? Why are they just scrolling on TikTok all day? Well, maybe because you're doing the same thing. Right? When we come to Jesus, the Holy One, all of our uncleanliness is laid bare. And we're confronted with the sickness in our hearts. Pastor Daniel all last week and the weeks prior talked about the reprobate mind, the sick heart, the need for Jesus, the moralist. 
And you know, there's no one like Jesus that makes you realize, man, I'm messed up. Because he's so beautiful, holy and righteous. We kind of stink. (laughs) You see, it's impossible for you and I to be truly righteous and holy without God. It's impossible for us to, to be set apart truly without Jesus. Listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30. It says, God has united you with Christ Jesus. For our benefit, God made him to be wisdom itself. Christ made us right with God. He made us pure and holy, and he freed us from sin. You see, when we surrender our lives to Christ, you and I have the opportunity to have the same authority God has, and that we can live in a way that our words carry power because the transformation of our lives. Um, I was just, this really came out. So anybody knows what handball is? I, I think I asked that question last time. Yes, handball. So it's big in the, in the, in the five boroughs, but it's basically um, the kind of the ghetto version of tennis. It's a blue ball, one wall, you just smack it. And you see a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of rough type of people sometimes hang around the courts. And so when I was in high school, I, I had a, a, just a, a dirty mouth, like a potty mouth. I, I didn't know how to say um, words without curses. I didn't know how to complete sentences without curses. Uh, it was just terrible. And then um, I had an encounter with God during my junior year, which led me to create a Christian club within my high school. I went to Beach Channel High School. That's a small little high school out in Far Rockaway, Queens, in the boondocks of the things. You know, everyone says Staten Island is the boondocks, not, not like Far Rockaway. Not like far, it's, that's what it's called, far rock away. It's out there. And uh, I had an encounter with God. And God changed my heart. And the first thing he changed was my, my, my language. And I remember all my friends, we would be at the handball courts, and I would normally always be cursing and, and acting a fool. And I remember I just didn't curse no more. Like, I, I didn't know how to curse. I started saying the word, like, holy this. And I was like, oh, wait, that's horrible. I can't use these words no more. And um, at first, they're like, man, he's weird. He's at the handball courts and he's not cursing and he's not hanging out with this. And then as I continued on and God started grabbing my heart, really and gripping my heart, just the, the people around me, one of my friends actually, one day we're on the handball courts and I'm playing in the doubles and we're, and we're doing really well. We're whipping that person. And all of a sudden, this guy's just cursing up a storm. And my friend, he looks at him and says, don't curse. He doesn't curse and you're messing him up. And I just thought to myself, this was the guy that saw me all, all throughout school cursing up, but he knew. Why? Because when God changed my heart, my actions began to change. And when your actions begin to change, guess what? Others take notice. And then your words carry weight. So that's the first one. The second kind of thought I have about Jesus is that Jesus is compassionate and merciful. Jesus is compassionate and and merciful. I'm going to read from Mark chapter 1, verses 40 through 44, again from the New King James Version. It says, Now a leper came to him, imploring him, kneeling down to him, and saying to him, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Then Jesus moved with compassion, highlight that, moved with compassion, stretched out his hands and touched him and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. And as soon as he spoke, and immediately the leprosy left him, and he was cleansed. And he strictly warned him and sent him away at once, and said to him, see, you, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go your way. Show yourself to the priests, and offer for your cleansing those things which Moses commanded as a testimony to them. 
Guys, I want to take a moment just to stand on this for a little bit. I've, I know we've talked about leprosy and we have spoken about the leper in the past, but this is significant for many reasons. And chief among them is the fact that this man is a leper. He was a person that was tarnished by leprosy, a terrible disease in the ancient world. Listen, that was the equivalent of the Ebola virus. It was done. You got it, you're done. There was no cure. There was no, I'm getting better once I got leprosy. You got that, you're dead. And it was a brutal disease. Listen to the description of the disease. I'm going to read from you according to the biblical commentaries touching on sickness on ancient days. It says, Leprosy begins as a small red spot on the skin. Before too long, the spots get bigger and start to turn white with a shiny or scaly appearance. The spot then spreads over the body and hair begins to fall out, first from the head, then even from the eyebrows. As things get worse, fingernails and toenails become loose. They start to rot and eventually they fall off as well. Then the joints of fingers and toes begin to rot and fall off, piece by piece. Gums begin to shrink, and your teeth are not held by them anymore, and they begin to fall out. Each tooth is lost. Leprosy keeps eating away at the face until the nose, the palate, and even the eyes rot away. And the leper wastes away until he or she dies. I sat there and I just thought, golly, how horrifying a disease. But what was worse than the actual physical torture of said disease was the social stigma that was placed on you afterwards. They were told to shout, unclean, I'm clean, I'm unclean. When someone was near them and they had to wear clothing that showed that they were mourning the dead. You know what? They were mourning themselves. Can you imagine having to wear clothing that said, you're dead? Imagine wearing a, an outfit that just put on, you wear your own body bag. And you had to shout it, yo, I'm dead. I'm unclean. I'm nasty. I smell. I'm horrible. They couldn't even be six, you couldn't even be six feet away from that person. They were truly the walking dead. They were truly outcasts from society. And it was, when it came to lepers, here's the sick thing. There were two prevailing thoughts at the time. First, they are dead. And the second, and this is the messed up part, is they were treated with unkindness because this was a punishment from God. And so they rightfully deserved this treatment. That was the prevailing thought. Can you imagine there's some, we feel that way. We may not have leprosy on the outside, but we're lepers in the inside. And we walk away from people and we, we put our distance. Don't come near me. I'm unclean. Don't touch me. I don't, I don't want to be touched. I, I can't be near you. And the self-talk and the nastiness that you say to yourself and the things that come over you. But the leper... He implored, but really the word implore means to beg that Jesus may cleanse him. That's an interesting word. He didn't ask Jesus to heal him. Jesus could have healed him. He said, Jesus, will you cleanse me? Because he needed more than a healing. He needed his heart and mind to change. Listen, family, whatever we think we need from God, one thing remains certain 
you and I need a new heart and a new mind. Whatever you think you need from God, finances, this, that, you and I need a new heart and a new mind. And listen, some of us been, I'm going to put in air quotes, walking with God for many years, but your, your heart and your mind don't align with that. And this leper was probably in the last stages of the sickness. And so he must have looked quite repulsive. But the Bible says Jesus was moved with compassion. He stretched out his hand and touched him and said, he's willing. Look, can I be honest, man? I am moved with compassion when someone I know is sick. I am moved with compassion when I see certain things. But it's hard for me to move with compassion when something inside of me is repulsive. When I want to gag at the scent of it. When I smell somebody, when you can walk in a room and there's a stench just fills your eyes and I want to run out because I can't handle it. It's hard for me to feel compassion. And yet here is Jesus, man with no face, probably rotting away, coming out, begging. Yo, can you cleanse me? Can you heal me? Can you heal? Can you cleanse me? There's biblical, there's this commentary that said leprosy was so bad that people will watch and vomit in disgust. And yet here was Jesus, untarnished, beautiful, amazing. And he could have healed him with the word. Jesus could have said, yo, be clean, be healed. And he would have been healed. You understand that? The Bible says, Jesus said, let me go touch him. And that was probably the first touch that man felt in a very long time in love. Some of you guys know how that feels. Some of you know what it feels like to have a leprosy in your life, spiritual leprosy, and no one is even near you, and Jesus is just going to touch you. The very first touch you ever felt in your life, that meant love. Some of you never heard a word of I love you from a parent. And now you're 60, 70, 50, 40, and you're struggling. And you're repeating the same cycle with your children. I mean, Jesus wants to touch you today because he's merciful and compassionate. He could have waved his hand. What a wonderful savior. He saw the man's pain and he met him where he's at. And I think about my own life, how many times God met me in the midst of my ugliness when I wasn't very lovable. And then Jesus says, tell the leper, he tells the leper to go back to the priest and offer for his cleansing the things that Moses commanded. And this is huge because since lepers were never healed, these priests had never did the ceremony. It would have been the first time they would have conducted a ceremony. In essence, this is what God was saying. He says, go to the priest. The Messiah is here. The Savior is here. God in the flesh is here. That's what he was saying. I think of a a couple outside. When I used to work at a church in the city, TSC, I used to work um, in maintenance one of my jobs was in the morning to, uh, in the morning there would, there would be a bunch of homeless people that would just sit out, out in the front. And it would, it would get crazy. 
They would create, you get boxes, and they would be having sex sometimes out in the front, and all types of stuff. And I remember um, at the time Earl used to say, hey, you're going to be here early in the morning, so it's your job. And I'm thinking, man, I'm going to get jumped. I'm going to get killed. I'm gonna, I don't want to talk to these people. You know, and, uh, <laughs> so one day I'm going out, and I see um, this really young couple, probably like 15 or maybe 16, and they're sitting out there, and the girl is just like high as a kite. And she had vomit on the side of her face, and, the, and the, the, the boyfriend or whatever he was was just itching, just scratching. And so I said, you know what? I'm going to let them just stay out there for a little bit. And then um, when I work up my courage, I'm going to go meet these. I'm just going to talk to them. And so I go, and I get ready to, uh, I, I, I wait like 20 minutes. I go back to my seat. I pray God help me. And I'm getting ready to start cleaning up the boxes. As I'm getting ready to clean up the box, it just throw up. Plop, hits my shoes. I'm just, I'm cringing. I'm like, ah, God help me. And then um, the Lord says, I want you to minister to them. I said, they're not, they're not even, they're, they're high. What do, you, what do you mean? It doesn't make no sense. They're not going to understand the word I'm saying. I just want you to say, Jesus loves you, and this church is a place for you. And so I just obey. Jesus loves you. This church is a place for you. Didn't think anything of it. Take the boxes, clean it up. They walk away. Later on that day, right before service, they come. And they say, I had a dream. And in that dream, he said, Jesus loves me. And this church is for me. Can we come? Sure. So we come. They start coming. And they start coming, they start coming to youth group. And they're still out on the street. They start coming for youth group. They come for Tuesday night prayers at the time. And I just keep talking to them every now and then. And then all of a sudden, they go to me and they say, hey, listen, we want to ha- have our lives changed. We heard about this Jesus you're talking about. And so I get them to go to a place called His Place out in Alabama. They have a place for guys and a place for girls. And they go out and don't think anything of it. A year later, I see this couple. But their face is different. They're transformed. They're not sleeping around with each other no more. They're sober and clean. And they come up and they hug me. And they say, it was your word that Jesus loved me and this church was a place for me that absolutely transformed me. Guys, let me say, that wasn't me. That was Jesus that met them. I was just listening to them, to God. Jesus meets people where they're at. He meets them where they're at. I want to touch on another point. Jesus is love and forgiveness. Luke chapter 23, verse 33 through 43. I'm going to read from the NLT. I'm switching it up. When New King James Version, now we're doing NLT. We went from, never mind, I'm just going to stop. When they came to a place called the skull, they nailed them to the cross. And the criminals were also crucified, one on, his, uh, one on his right and one on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they are doing. And the soldiers gambled for his clothing by throwing dice. The crowd watched and the leader scoffed. He saved others, they said. Let him save himself if he really is God's, God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers mocked him too. By offering a drink of sour wine, they called out to him, if you are the king of the Jews, 
save yourself. And a sign was fastened above him with these words, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed, say the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. But the other criminal protested, don't you, don't you fear God? Even when you have, have been sentenced and died, don't you fear him? We deserve to die for our crimes, but this man hasn't done anything wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I assure you today, you will be with me in paradise. What a great love that Jesus displayed on the cross that day. What a great sacrifice that he will live a perfect life, a sinless life, so that you and I can have eternity in heaven. Even the robber who was crucified, who initially insulted and mocked him, he had a change of heart. You see, he was, Jesus was suffering on the cross. And as he spent time with Jesus on the cross, guess what? He started to realize the condition of his own heart. His time with Jesus, as short as it is, had changed him. It moved his heart. He became acutely aware of his own condition compared to that of a righteous God. And I always thought in my mind, like, I want to ask the guy on the cross, how does that work out? Like, you didn't even have to live good. Can you imagine the man on the cross, he goes to heaven. And then the angel comes. He says, how do you get here? You don't belong here. Now, let me go get my supervised angel. I don't know. Supervising angel comes. Hey, do you know about justification by faith? I don't know about that. Do you know about sola scriptura? Never heard of it. But the man on the middle cross said, I can come. Jesus said, I can come. And that's all that matters. This is a perfect picture of life for many of us. Both these represent two ways of living. The thief to the right is a, uh, is a representation of a person who understands and acknowledges they're wrong, while the thief to the left continues to harden his heart and sin. He is storing up wrath. Pastor Dan told about wrath, that's scary, right? That's horrifying. Storing it up. I want to share the story of a video that went viral in 2012. The story of a man named Hayden Carlo. Couldn't afford an insurance, but still needed to drive his car to get back and forth from work. Eventually, he was pulled over by the cop. The cop told him that his registration was expired. And if he knew that he was driving with a bad registration. Hayden apologized right away. Tears in his eyes. The father, who had two young children, told the officer, I have no excuse except I don't have the money. This is what he said to the, to the news anchor when being interviewed. He said, I said to the officer, you get paid, you pay your bills, and there's your money. Haven't you felt that way? I get paid, I pay my bills, and then I'm broke. And there's no money. It's gone. I said, he said, he, he says this, he says, I said, there's no explanation for why I haven't done it, except I don't have the money. I told myself it was either feed my kids or get my registration done. The officer had to give him a ticket. 
because he was still wrong. So the officer goes back to the car, he writes up a ticket, but wrapped in that ticket was a $100 bill, enough to pay for the ticket and update the registration for his car. Listen, don't miss this, family. Hayden was wrong. Hayden had to pay the price, but he couldn't. So the officer paid the price instead for him. In essence, this is what the Lord is doing for our lives. Look, when I think about my life, when I think about what God's taking me out of, the, the, the sickness of pornography and all that type of, just the, the gunk of this world, I couldn't pay the price. And there's no good deed you and I can do. There's nothing special that you and I can do that will ever satisfy God's wrath. And if we could, if we could, I heard it been said then that then God would have to be put on trial for the greatest form of child abuse ever known to man. Listen to 1 John 4, 9, 10. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we may have eternal life through him. Verse 10, this is real love. Not that we love God. Listen to that. Not that we love God. But that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. You and I don't deserve it. Worship team, you can come up. We didn't even love God, and yet he saw fit to sacrifice his son, Jesus, so that you and I can have eternity with him in paradise. Guys, sometimes we think, oh, this is just a call to the unbeliever. Have you answered that question lately, who is Jesus? Have you answered it? Have you answered it? Like the apostles in Matthew chapter 16, 13 through 16. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the son of man is? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. Then he asked them, this is, this is red letter, but who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. How will you answer this question? The way you and I answer this question today changes everything. Listen to me real quick. If you don't know how to answer that question, but you feel in your heart a tugging to say, Jesus is Lord. You are the Messiah. Let me tell you who that is. That's God. That's not me. I have no special power. This Puerto Rican has no special power. Jesus does. And if you're a believer in this house and you've been, you're not walking the way you should be walking, you know in your heart you're not able to answer that very well like you should because there's things that you have allowed in, there's stuff that you put in your heart, there's stuff that you're allowed in your, to be put in before your eyes that's kind of weakening that relationship 
I want to challenge you today to say it well, to answer that question well. Some of you understand what it's, lived to, uh, it's like to live like the leper. Others, you can relate to the thief at the cross. And some of you have been impressed or oppressed by unclean spirits. But there's only one person who can change you. There's only one person who can transform you. There's only one person who can touch you. And that touch really means something. And that person is Jesus. Today is your day. It's your opportunity to come and meet with him. It's your opportunity to know who he is. And let me just say, you can answer this well today. You can answer this well. Because eternal implications rest in the balance. And let me just tell you something else. When you answer who is Jesus well, guess who you change? Not just yourself, but all those around you. Because now your words have weight. Your life has weight. So what we're going to do, I'm going to ask this, everyone to stand up. We're going to worship, but I want to invite you to the front. And when you're coming up to the front, who really cares about what person is thinking? You may say to myself, hey, I come up to the front, that person knows I'm a sinner. Guess what? We're all sinners. We're all messed up. We're all messed up. But thank God. So this is the altar call for two people. The first one is, if you don't know who Jesus is, you heard about him. Maybe you found out about macaroni Jesus. Maybe you had hood Jesus. Maybe you had King James Jesus. But I want you to know who Jesus is. We talked just three, just three things about his, who he is. This altar calls for you. And there's a second one. Maybe you're not where you know you need to be in your walk. You're struggling. You find your relationship distant. And you want to get in. And you're like, God, I don't care. My heart's burning. I want to know you. I want to meet you today. I want to say, Jesus, you're my Messiah. Jesus, your Savior. Jesus, I love you. Jesus, you're precious. Jesus, you're one. Maybe you want to rekindle the fire in your heart. Because your love's not where it used to be. But Jesus does it. You meet Jesus right here. And I'm going to pray for you. And pastors can pray for you. The elders can pray for you. I just want to encourage you. So we're going to worship, and then we're going to pray.